who's not here this morning, uh, would you text them and just said, just say, hey, I miss you. Haven't seen you since last year. Come on. I know. They make me happier when it makes people groan. <clears throat> Let's stand together and we'll begin our time of worship.
my songs to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Jesus you're my hope and stay
Father, we thank you for the life that we find in you. We thank you for sending your son for us that we might become your children. Father, we ask this morning that you teach us, that you draw us close to you and make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're one of our kiddos, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. And if you're one of our guests, please feel free to go with your kiddo and get them checked in and then come back and join us. Happy New Year. I got to change up the good morning greeting. Just one, one time. Hope everyone had a, didn't experience any bullets coming down on your house, depending on what neighborhood you live in. And we are over at the Russell's neighborhood. I don't really know the name of it. Um, is that Montgomery area or something? I, I, the closest I think I've been to a war zone was their neighborhood. I couldn't believe it, man. And you start wondering, okay, was that, was that a gun? Was that, was that a fireworks? Was that a, sounded all the same. So I brought with you my list. I don't know what's on your list, but I, I decided this year, I made a list. I even signed it, printed it out and everything. Things that I've decided I'm not going to eat for the month of January. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so I just did January, taking it one step at a time. I think that's, that's part of it. Uh, so I, I, I am fully aware that it is actually much better to just adopt a healthy, balanced lifestyle than just like, here's my things I'm not going to eat. I'm aware of that. Um, but it's a lot easier to make a list and say, you know, I'm hoping it, hoping it leads to that. I, uh, so you want to know what's on my list? You don't? Okay. Um, okay. I wanted a little mass accountability. So some of the obvious, um, you know, soft drinks, throwing that out there. Some, some desserts I, I put specifically cookies, cake, pie, brownies. Um, a lot of these things aren't necessarily things that I'm constantly eating, but I find when they're available, I have a hard time with a limit. And so pizza's on this list, which is heartbreaking. Pizza's probably my favorite. And I know one day I will have pizza again. But the problem is, that I've, I've, a while back I said, okay, at any given time, I'm not going to go past four slices. And then when I'm on my like six, I'm like, now wait, what happened? You know, why, what is going on? I'll, I'll go, so like burgers and fries, fast, I put fast food, burgers and fries. So I had a way out. If I go to a nicer place and it's, it's uh, healthier. Um, <laughs> if I can get a, if I can get a whole wheat bun with it, then it passes. So... The problem is, though, I'll go, I'll go to a lunch or something, and I'll go in thinking I'm going to have, like, salad with chicken on it or something like that. And then when the words come out of my mouth, it says cheeseburger and fries. And I, and I can't figure out why, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll eat it, and then I'll feel bad, and I'll proclaim wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death, right? <laughs> And, and it's, it's so funny how this is so similar to our walk with Christ and that balance, balance between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit and the success we have and the frustrations and the failures and how that's all wrapped into how Jesus, you know, forms us and guides us along the way. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, Paul in the end of chapter seven, he said that, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? But he's not talking about eating cheeseburgers and fries. He's talking about trying to follow after Jesus in the process of discipleship and sanctification and continuing to kind of slip into doing it in his own strength and, and in the flesh and finding that when it just comes down to a list, you know, when we try to follow Jesus with a list and say, okay, in my own strength this, this year, I will 
will do things different. I will read the Bible every day. I will do this. I will do that. You have your do's and don'ts. Um, and, and we're so, we have so much uh, baggage that we carry with us into our relationship with God. Uh, that as he's changing us, as he's transforming us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue to go back to the things we know. And, and what we know is it's a whole lot easier to just say, well, I'm going to do this now, instead of submitting to the Holy Spirit's power to change us and, and change our desires. Um, it's so similar in, in how we do that. And this time of year, we, we often do focus on this list, right? On the things maybe that we need to, we need to shore up that, that scale uh, weight. Uh, we need to shore up how active we are. We have all these things we do. Uh, and, and when it comes to our walk with Christ, though, there's, there is opportunity as well to stop and reflect at different times. And I think God has set up different times, different opportunities for us to do that. And why not at New Year's, right? Uh, in the back, some of you picked up this little booklet that I, I uh, made this last year with, with the, and I wasn't thinking I would get up and talk about it, but just wanted to make it available. And it is just two weeks of, of looking at uh, seven, seven different essentials of discipleship. Dave had come up a couple months ago and then we refined it as a staff, this, you know, kind of just boiling it down to, okay, what's the essentials when we talk about discipleship, what do we mean? And so I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to push those out there a little bit. And, and so it's an opportunity for two weeks every day looking at one of those essentials. Um, and I called it a realignment because when you think about it, you know, if you're going to realign something, you have to align it with something that is true. Um, so we don't want to all just decide what, what we're supposed to do individually. We want to look at scripture and, and, uh, and listen to the spirit on how he's guiding us. And so hopefully this is something to help you kind of take an evaluation in each of those essential areas of discipleship to say, okay, you know, where, where does God want me to take a step, you know, in, in a direction towards him? Uh, maybe you don't need a major makeover. <laughs> maybe you don't need to overhaul. Maybe you do. Um, maybe it's just a simple uh, one more step in that process of seeing God transform you. And so I hope, hope this is an opportunity for you to do that. If you didn't get one on your way in, get one on the way out. If you're watching at home um, and you come next week, we'll have, I'll just have them sitting in the different ABF classrooms uh, for you to grab. And so this morning, I want to look at something that's going to help us, uh, whether you're talking about this or any, any opportunity or any time that you say, you know what, I want to, I'm going to start to really take a look at my relationship with Christ, my discipleship, and, and really go to Jesus and say, okay, what, what would you have for me now? What's the next thing? Uh, to, to try to shore up that difficulty we have of trying to do it in, in, our, in our own strength and the frustration that, that follows. Because uh, uh, when, when you look at the end of, of chapter seven in Romans and you see Paul's, I think, really just authentic, uh, uh, you know, proclamation that I think all of us relate to so easily. Those, we've all experienced those times where we say, what is going on? Why can't I just do that? When I know that's what I'm supposed to do, why do I keep going back to the thing I don't want to do? Why do we do that? And so we're going to be looking at the very middle of chapter eight. And, and it is kind of a, a simplification to say, maybe an oversimplification to say chapter eight is the answer to Paul's frustration at the end of chapter seven. And it's always difficult to jump right into the middle of a book without building a whole lot of context. Um, but if you think about how Romans is built, you know, in the big 
30,000 foot level idea. You start out with conversations about sin and our need for salvation and how we then sometimes try to solve that with works, with the law, but that faith is a thing that is required and that Jesus came and, and that we can have faith in him and, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And then it, there's this transition in the middle of the book where we move from subjects of salvation to subjects of what we call sanctification or, or discipleship or following Jesus or the process where uh, God changes our hearts to beat after his. And so you have that middle section. And then when you get to you know, the, the last end of, of Romans, you have kind of what you might say are the do's and don'ts. It's, it's Christian application. It's the lifestyle. It's how do you live all this stuff out? I feel like if you don't have chapter eight, we're just going to keep having a lot of frustration when you get to the end of the book, because there's a lot of things about how we're supposed to be patient with one another and love one another and forgive one another. And if we do that in our own strength, we're going to continue to run up against the same wall. And so Paul gives us chapter eight to really highlight the work of the Holy Spirit in, in this whole process. And so I want to look at the very middle of it and just highlight three areas that I think will give you some hope, some freedom, some encouragement. Uh, maybe if you're feeling a little discouraged, uh, maybe if you take that moment of reflection this week in the new year and you get a little discouraged and thinking, yeah, there's just, you know, one of these days I was hoping I could look back and say, wow, I really overcame that. <laughs> and yet I'm, on, I'm into decade three, you know, uh, whatever your, your story might be. Um, that I think Paul in that spirit, when he says, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, uh, in his answer to who is going to save this body of death, he then launches into this whole drawn out explanation of here's, here's what the Holy Spirit does in that process of helping us walk more like Jesus. And so we're going to look starting in verse 18 of, of chapter eight. And the first thing that, that I want to put up there that's, that's kind of the first, I guess, main point is that we're to groan with patience, groan with patience. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at how often that word groan shows up. I thought it was funny that Chris talked about groanings uh, as a result of his dad joke. Uh, this is not that kind of groanings, I guess. Um, but what is a groan? A groan is that same, like he said, that it's not a good dad joke if there's not groans. It's, uh, maybe it's a reaction of, oh, that just isn't what it's supposed to be. You know, humor is supposed to be so much better than a dad joke. This just doesn't get there. It's, that's the groan, right? And it's the same groan we have sometimes when we look and evaluate. Maybe it's the groan you get when you step on the scale and you just think, okay, I'm, I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do and this number gets bigger and bigger. What is going on? When I read scripture and when I'm, you know, having a conversation with another believer and I, you know, we're having maybe a time of accountability and I'm sharing something and I think, you know, I'm just frustrated because uh, is the same exact thing I was dealing with last year. And uh, we get frustrated with that. And that's the groaning that, that Paul is going to talk about here. In verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And for this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul calls us to groan with patience. I would say patience and hope. So groan, what is groaning, right? We already talked about that, that it's a, it's a, I would say it's a wordless response, right? It's an emotional response. Um, and as I spoke earlier about the concept of realignment, you have to have something true to line it up with in order to, to put it back into alignment. Uh, I, I think a groan is a response of this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I just have an inherent understanding that my relationship with God is supposed to be different. My relationship with other people is supposed to be different. There's a thing that's in the way and we know what that thing is. It's the brokenness of sin, right? It's, a, it's the things that's my pride, it's my lust. It's the things that continue to kind of trip me up. And so we, we groan and we say now, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Why can't I seem to get there? It's, it's the, oh, wretched man that I am. That's a groan. Uh, but what kind of groaning is this? Is it a hopeless? Is it a, is it a, a faithless groaning? No, I love how he actually puts it in the, in the realm of childbirth, groaning as in childbirth. Now, the, the, we have four kids, but three times we went in and had a baby. And so I remember each time you go in there and the nurse on the whiteboard writes what the goal is. What's, what's the, what do they write when you're going in and have a baby? They write, have a baby. It's real, it's, it's medical terminology, I think. And, and so they're like, here's the goal. Here's the goal for today, have a baby. Why? Because once the process starts, you're just, you're just helping it along, right? This is, this is where it's going. If all things are normal and healthy and, you know, you don't need a huge amount of intervention, this, this is the purpose of it. So the groanings, the pain, the, the toil is all for something that is going to be better, right? And so the, 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 the hope that you can have when you walk in there, not me, I'm not the one having doing it, right? So I'm just there holding hands. Um, but the nurses and everyone else is saying, hey, this is, this is why we're doing it. We're here to have a baby. That's the goal. And I think sometimes in discipleship, we forget the goal. We forget the destination. And we get so mired in each step, maybe being very plodding. You ever gone on a hike where you're in that kind of mud that picks itself up, right? And you, you get taller as you walk because it just clings to you. And, and, and it, it's, it's getting more and more frustrating. In Sedona, where outside of um, Phoenix, where I grew up, uh, they have that red, that red clay stuff that's just really, and uh, I remember riding, doing a mountain biking along a trail there, and it was fine when we first started, and then there was a huge downpour. And you're going along, and then you look down, and it was collecting to the point you could no longer see the tire. It was just a big ring of mud, and it was all built up, and you just couldn't, and we were several miles, miles out, and we just had to stop and get off the bike and just walk. And it's just such work and, and, and it's, it's not the joy that you thought it was going to be when you first start all because of that edit that added extra weight. And it just kind of gets in the way. And, and so often that's my feeling in my walking after God is I feel like there's a lot of stuff here that just shouldn't be here. And, and this, this is not the abundant life that, that Jesus promised. What is going on? And we get focused on the mud and the muck and we don't see where it's all headed and we don't see that this toil is headed somewhere better. 
it's headed somewhere better. So Paul says, yes, it's okay to groan. It's okay because you are trying to follow after Jesus behind enemy lines. It's okay to groan because the world is out to, to trip you up. And, and it, it's, we're just not playing on an even playing field. It's okay to groan when you look around at the world and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. It's okay to groan when you're having a quiet time and you think, I just, I just don't feel like I'm, man, I've been walking with God for 50 years. What is going on? Why do I still have this fear? It's okay to groan, right? We need to have that freedom to understand that. But at the same time, we need to look at what Paul says when he says groan with patience. Look at 25 again. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And an understanding that this process that we undergo, the sanctification process, the destination we're going to get to at the end, but is glory in Jesus, right? It's, it's all God's glory and our good. And we get an opportunity with each step to say, okay, this toil is worth it. And it's, it's not just meaningless toil. This toil has a purpose. And in fact, we're going to see the purpose as we move on to the next thing, because I think the next thing we see, starting in, in verse 26, is that, when, is that the Spirit kind of helps us plug in to God's purpose. It helps us plug into God's purpose. So we want to we groan with patience and hope, knowing that this is not the destination. We have a, we have a better place, a, a, a destination of, of, of going towards looking like Christ-likeness. And, and as, as Paul says elsewhere, and, and uh, as far as degrees of glory, right? We, we, we grow and we look back and we say, why was I so stressed out about that? You know, like God has rescued me, redeemed me from that. And now I look back and think, man, at the time that was just the whole world. And now I'm, I'm here and I can look back and see God has moved me to this next spot. And, and now I trust him as I continue. And so this toil, this, this, this work that we have as we cooperate with the spirit, it does the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit helps us plug our lives into his purposes. Now, we, we uh, think we know how electricity works for the most part, right? We, we live in an age where electricity, it makes sense. We know how things work. We plug it in, stuff happens. That's, that's my physics understanding. Is I plug it in, turns on. And then you go overseas and you go to take your hairdryer to the bathroom and you see, you see this picture here. You see something like this. And then you go, I don't, what in the world is that? And you're trying to force your plug, trying to get it to work in that plug, from my understanding, that's actually one from China. So if you go to Europe, maybe it's a little different. It looks more like this. You need to, you need to have a converter, right? Or an adapter. I'm not exactly sure. And, and so you have this thing that most seasoned travelers know that you're going to need in order to plug your American electrical appliance into the outlet for it to work. Because otherwise, I just got this thing that needs electricity and it can't make a connection to the electricity. And you have this thing that's in the way. And when I think of the Holy Spirit and his work and what Paul is describing it, it seems like it works a lot, a lot like this. Maybe you're going to catch on to what I'm saying here in verse 26. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. What's the weakness with, with this one? Well, with my hair dryer doesn't work with that kind of plug, right? That's a weakness. So the Holy Spirit steps in and works in our weakness. Likewise, the spirit helps in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
I love that he continues that groaning idea. Uh, it's kind of a match, a contrast of I groan because I, of my weakness. He groans to intercede for our weakness, too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So you, you get an idea here that, that Paul is completely understanding and we're in step with him of saying, you know, sometimes I don't even know where to go next in my walk with God. I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to pray as I ought, but the Holy Spirit steps in there and I have the freedom to just start talking, to just start going to God and saying, here's my life. Plug it into God's purpose turn it into something that I cannot. Because when I try to do it in my own strength, I just get frustrated. When I walk in obedience and walk in faith and simply hand my life over to the Holy Spirit, he can then take my words that are, again, this is all in the context of a believer trying to follow after God. Their flesh gets in the way. They maybe have good intentions to be praying as they ought, but they just don't know. And so we we have that mud that collects and we, you know, we have the sin that we need to confess and we need to, uh, to walk in a spirit of thanksgiving and, and we, we sometimes just get distracted. And I could lose hope and I could say, well, then I might as well give up. Why continue to follow after God if this is just the end result? Again, if you don't have chapter eight and you jump to here's how a Christian's supposed to live, we might give up. Because if we try to do it on our own, it's futile. But because I can look and say, wait, the spirit who lives within me is continuing to communicate to God in ways that I can't, making up for my weaknesses. And I, and I believe that the next verse is really within the context of that statement. And I think verse 28 maybe gets used in times when it shouldn't. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that's the ultimately where this is headed, right? Plugging into God's purpose, taking our lives where we feel like sometimes we're just spinning our pedals and not getting anywhere and giving us purpose when the spirit intercedes for us. Now, sometimes that verse 28, I feel like it gets, as I said, it, it, it sometimes gets used maybe a little too often in places it shouldn't. I, I definitely do not think this is a verse we need to be quoting to someone who just got done experiencing great evil and brokenness. I don't, I don't think it's all that helpful to walk into their life and say, well, God's going to all things be used for good. Uh, we sometimes want to go to Joseph at least for me, this verse reminds me of Joseph, right? He'd been sold into slavery by his brothers. He'd been nearly killed, been imprisoned, uh, ups and downs of his life. And then eventually when there's a reunion and they're afraid he's going to exact revenge, he says, you know what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. But we need to remember that doesn't just erase all the pain. It doesn't erase all the pain. It just gives the pain some purpose, so we need to be careful to not just quote this right in the middle of, of, of raw pain. I, I don't think the, the greater context is this to, 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 I don't think Paul was writing this to be a, uh, an, an apologetic of God's sovereignty. That's a true statement. God can, can and does take bad things and he brings good things out of it. But what's the immediate context of this verse? It's about my walk and about me trying to follow after God in the flesh as opposed to the spirit. 
When we walk in spirit, we have a life of peace and love. When we walk in flesh, we have frustration. So it really comes down to what does Paul mean when he says all things? Well, I like to just look up at the next few verses, right? We don't know how we ought to pray, I think is a, is a very good comparison to all things. We sometimes just don't know which step to take next. I want to follow after God. That is my desire. But I have this flesh that weighs me down and I get frustrated and I, and I wonder what am I supposed to do? And I remember here that the Holy Spirit steps in in our weakness. The Holy Spirit steps in our weakness. Does that mean I can just go crazy and sin however I want and then the Holy Spirit will turn it all good? I don't think that's the point either, right? That's not the point. But it does give our pain and our frustration some purpose. In the same way that our toil and our groanings can be met with patience because we have hope in the destination, we can look at our frustrations and our you know, failings and our weakness and say, okay, the Holy Spirit can still do something with it. The Holy Spirit can still use me for God's purpose. So the Holy Spirit plugs us into this, his purpose. And the last few verses are really uh, James Denny. He's a, a theologian from like 1910. He wrote this. He, he said this verse, this last verse we're going to read is the most daring verse in the Bible. And maybe you're going to see why in a second. Um, because we're going to see that, that the third thing is we need to see our, ourselves through the eyes of restoration. And again, remember, it, we're, we're forgetting the destination. We're forgetting the goal of discipleship and how God is using our weakness to bring about his glory and our good. And we get, we get focused on the, on the failure and the weakness and forget that God can still use us. And he doesn't see us as we see ourselves. We need to see ourselves through the eyes of restoration. Verse 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And here's the, what James Tenney called the most daring verse in the Bible. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And if you're a grammar person, you might've noticed the tense is all the same there. We, as a Bible church, hold to justification. We believe that by faith, Jesus canceled sin and guaranteed heaven on the work of, uh, with his work on the cross. And we, we trust him in faith and we've been justified. And, and justification, a, a, a simple way of thinking of justification is just as if I'd never sinned. It's not that he erases it so you can kind of still see the pencil marks a little bit. He rips that page out and we have a new life, new creation in him past tense, but he also says he also glorified past tense. And it's really, it's more than past tense, right? It's, it's continuing, it's on. It's, it's what I would actually call a timeless tense is that when God looks at me, he doesn't see the mess ups and the weaknesses. He sees an original and future glory. And what do I, what do I mean by that? I am not good at restoring things. Like when I walk into an old house or an old junker car, I just see cost, I see time, I see money. I see things that are outside of my ability to do a job. You know, I, I could do some things, but I am not gonna be able to restore an old car to its original glory. 
But the people that do that, they seem to have an eye for it. They can walk in and see an old, you know, 55 Chevy that's been sitting in a, in a barn for years and see it as it was just out of the, out of the factory. And so they have a goal of restoring it to what, to its original, its original glory, to, to be able to see that just as it was. I don't have an eye for that, but apparently God does. That God looks at us and sees us with that eye, sees us the way we were intended to be pre-sin, that we were intended to live in, in harmony and relationship with the creator but also now that we've been justified, we're already glorified. And, and, and in our experience, that's a really difficult concept because we don't experience glory much. I don't look in the mirror and see glory. Right when I get done, you know, eating way too much pizza, I don't go, wow, glorified. You know, it's just, it's not how it works. All I, all I see is, you know, experience is a stomach ache. And, and me going, man, I'm an idiot. You know what? How many times do I got to keep stepping in the same trap? And in the same way, spiritually, we, we respond in the same way. And, and I am not glorified. I need to see myself through the eyes of restoration. Where's this all headed? So whether it's this, you know, anytime we're taking opportunity to to grow spiritually, to, to take a step forward in our faith, that temptation is there to try to do it in our spirit or in our flesh and just say, yeah, God, I'm gonna try harder this time. It's, it's a new year, I'm gonna try harder. Luckily, you know, I hope you don't write any of those words down because then you go back and read them and there's a pattern probably. When I, when I go back and read all the statements I have at those times when I think, okay, next time, next time. But when I look at the, the restoration process of our creator, and the glory that he receives when he can take an old junker like me, a rusted out junker, someone that doesn't even know how he's supposed to pray, someone that, you know, has a, has a desire to follow God as a new creation, has a desire to seek after the things of God, but just keeps going after the things that, that are comfortable. For those he justified, he also glorified. And how much hope that brings whenever I can look and see this is where it is all headed. One day, future glory, all of this will pale in comparison to the future glory. And that's, that's not, I'm gonna be awesome. That's not the future glory, right? It's the future glory of, wow, look what God did with a wreck like me. Look what God did with the people of God. Look what he did with his church, that he raised up a bride that he raised up a people. You look in the book of Revelation and you see that huge worship service of all people of all tongues of all languages coming together and worshiping. That's the glory. That's the glory of people that are broken and messed up and, and faithless. There's glory because that's the end. That's the goal of discipleship, of our sanctification. So I hope my goal this morning was to give you encouragement, right? Give you encouragement with that next step that we have the freedom to just kind of walk after God with abandon and not worry and not say, well, oh, oh I don't know. I don't know. Cause guess what? I'm going to eat pizza again. You're going to mess up. And in our weakness, God uses us because otherwise it would be all about my effort. It would be all about, look what I did. Look what I did this year, God. I made myself so much better. 
that's not what it's about. It's about his glory. And so I read chapter eight with encouragement because I say, you know what? God has given me everything I need. He's given me the Holy Spirit. He's given me his word. He's given me community. He's given me love. He's given me new life so I can follow after him and I can find success. And when I trip up, I don't need to stop and stare at the mud for a set amount of time. I can jump up and I can get back on the horse, so to speak. And I can seek forgiveness and I can seek love and redemption. There's a children's book that we're reading. I don't know if you call it a children. It's to our children. Um, it's got some pretty grimy things in it because um, it's real, but it's, it's this allegory about this kingdom. And there's, a, there's an enchanter in this dark place where everything's backwards and messed up. And, and they're constantly sent. The, the kingdom is always, the king is always sending people into this dark place to try to rescue people. And there's a phrase that the people say when they're sent in, they're called rangers and they're, they're sent in to rescue. And they always say to the king and to the restoration. And I think Maybe that was birthed out of this section of Romans. And then uh, so that's what I would want to leave you with. As you, as you go out into your new year, there would be to the king and to the restoration. Let me pray. God, we, uh, we're encouraged. And we want to seek after you. And we want to take that next step. Each of us is on this different path, different path of following after you. Each of us is called to carry a cross, pick up a cross daily. Each of us is called to follow after you in steps of discipleship. And you reveal that path to each one of us through your word, through the spirit, through your body. And so I pray in those times that toil becomes uh, just unbearable, those times that we do scream out, wretched man that I am, pray that your grace would come flooding in at that moment and that we'd begin to see ourselves as you see us already glorified, restored in the spirit. So I pray for anyone here that needs that restoration right now, that uh, your spirit would come in and bring peace and comfort, that we would, instead of giving up, give in to submission to the spirit's leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
for being with us this week or today. Have a great first week of the year.